You're listening to the Sunday morning sermons from North Bullet Christian Church, located in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. If you have questions or would like to know more information on our church and or ways to connect, grow, and serve with us, email us at info at northbulletcc.org or come and gather with us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. And with that, let's look at today's sermon. All right, Romans 8, 1 to 4, God's Word says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that one one more time. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I'm excited to begin a new sermon series today for the new year. It's the first Sunday of the year. We have 52 weeks ahead of us to gather together to praise Jesus. And so I'm excited to dig into the book of Romans, uh, specifically chapter 8 today. Uh, generally, if you're new with us, our church preaches in what we would call an expositional fashion. What does that mean? It means we pick or choose a book of the Bible that the Lord has led us to, and we preach it verse by verse or chapter by chapter, mining the book for its teaching and modern application. We believe here that the Bible is applicable in all ages and all times. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and guiding us. I came to the idea a few months back to conduct this periodic series based in portions of the scriptures that we conclude are are significant contributors to our spiritual formation and understanding. Now, I want to say this is not to to lessen the weight of any given text of scripture. As the Bible itself declares, again, that it is all God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is what the Bible declares. But Romans 8, for me, is likely one of my favorite chapters of Scripture, nestled in one of my favorite letters of Scripture, and one of my favorite preachers, Pastor John Piper, calls it the greatest letter ever written. In his first sermon in Romans, he states, mind you, after ministering for 18 years at a a church called Bethlehem Baptist, he says, quote, I have considered over and over again preaching Romans... I've walked up to the mountain and looked up into the clouds that surround the peak of this Everest and walked away to lower heights and contented myself with other things because it is an absolutely daunting to stand before these 16 chapters. And so myself, instead of taking on Everest at this point in my pastorate, the whole of the book of Romans, maybe in 18 years or so we'll do that together. I aim to ascend a smaller mountain, kind of like the small mountain that we have here in Kentucky we call Mount Washington, right? I still haven't found it. In all seriousness, chapter 8 really represents a tying together of many redemptive themes in the Bible and bookends the teachings of Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit uh, from the first part of this letter of Romans. It's a fitting, in a sense, toe into the water of a vast ocean of beautiful truths presented in this great letter. From the outset of Romans 8, we are dealing with the culmination of many themes as they pertain to our salvation, but not just only our salvation, but also our purpose in the present and also into eternity as born-again Christians. 
The pro- it deals with the problem of sin, the beauty of the gospel, the purpose of the law, and life in the spirit of Christ. And so today we inch our way into the water, which brings us to our main idea. Our main idea is this. The main idea is simply this. We have obtained new life in Christ Jesus. We have obtained new life in Christ Jesus. Please notice here the present tense of the main idea. We have obtained new life through Christ Jesus. We possess it currently in this time and space. And the beauty of salvation is that we look forward to exploring this salvation that we have in Christ, this new life that we have in Jesus for all of eternity. We will learn the truths of God's redemptive plan for us. Again, verse 1 declares this beautiful truth. There is therefore now, notice here Paul's present tense, now in the present, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here in Romans 8, Paul is, is drawing together his teaching from the first seven chapters Verse 1 should cause us to to praise God, I think, with a hearty amen, right? When we hear this truth, that there's no condemnation. If we stood condemned before the Lord, we would face the wrath of God for our sin, the just penalty for our disobedience. And verse 1, I believe, draws its power. It's drawing a conclusion from an earlier declaration of Paul all the way back in chapter 1, verse 16 to 18. I think when I read this, you're going to recognize verse 16 immediately. It's a very famous verse where Paul declares this. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to everybody else. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. What does that mean? It is, it is a faith from start to finish, from beginning to end. He goes on, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, naturally, in our Bibles, there's a a heading division there to cause us to kind of pull this away from the next section. The next section of Romans gets a little bit heavy, starting in verse 18. And we're going to kind of pancake these back together. Paul goes from the declaration of the gospel straight into this statement now. He says in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. An interesting way to begin to explain the good news of Jesus, isn't it? That Paul begins with what? Wrath. Do you see the turn in Paul's language in in chapter 1? He proclaims the power and sufficiency of the gospel or the good news about Jesus to save And as he begins to explain the inner workings, which he will unpack in the coming chapters of Romans, the inner workings of the gospel, he starts first with God's wrath toward this, toward sin, towards unrighteousness, which should drive us to this question. What is sin? What is sin? In order for us to embrace the the joy, peace, comfort, and grace of God in the statement from uh, Romans 8, verse 1, that says that there is therefore now no condemnation, we have to understand again this question, what is sin? Theologian J.I. Packer, I think, gives us a good working definition when he says this, quote, sin may be comprehensively defined 
as lack of conformity to the law of God. Lack of conformity to the law of God. In this way, he says, in act, habit, attitude, outlook, disposition, motivation, and mode of existence. Notice here Packer's interior and exterior language, right? Sin is within us and it's known through our actions. Sin isn't only something we do, but it it can also be found in our disposition or our our mode of existence. Romans 1.21 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became, it says here, futile or, or worthless, useless in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The, the question, what is sin, should then lead us to look at ourselves. So in a sense, we should be holding a mirror to ourselves right now. Do we understand the, the sin that intrinsically drives our decisions, our disposition, and our actions? And we should start kind of assessing the, the confrontation of our soul with the idea of sin. It should cause us to now wrestle with sin as we read God's Word, which brings another question. Have you wrestled with the reality of your own sin nature and inclination towards sin? If the Bible teaches this, it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It should cause our minds and our hearts to stir. I don't know about you, but I don't want to receive the wrath of God. Who's with me? It's a good idea to look at ourselves and the the sinful state that we find ourselves in and understand, you know, not just personally, but how expansive sin has invaded the creation and every human person. Romans 3.23, it says simply this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So why should we praise the Lord for the amazing proclamation of Romans 8.1 where he says again, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We cannot plumb the depths of that statement unless we begin with where we are at, what our disposition is apart from Christ, that we are fallen and sinful. By faith, the person and work of Jesus has been applied to the Christian. And we are presently enjoying new life in the Lord. That's why it says there is therefore, what? Now, no condemnation. So then how does God deal with our sin? How is it, get, it has to be dealt with. It can't just float around out there for all of eternity, neglected and left off to the side It is important that God deals with sin. Number one, the gospel has set us free from sin. It begins with Jesus. The gospel has set us free from sin. The earlier teachings of Romans established that that we have not honored God with our lives and that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now, through the plan of God the Father, listen to this, through the plan of God the Father, executed in the life of God's Son, Jesus, and revealed through the work of God the Spirit, we have been set free from sin. That's good news. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life. I believe Paul is explaining here the gospel. For the law of the Spirit of life, the gospel has set you free in who? In Christ Jesus. Not our works, but the work of another. From the law of sin and death. 
We've been set free. The gospel has set us free from sin. We're freed from two things. The first thing that we are freed from, we are freed from the penalty of sin. That's amazing. We find this truth in verse 3, where it says, God has condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. Moreover, in verse 1, Paul declared, I'm going to keep saying it, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So we are free from the penalty of sin. Number two, we are enabled, hear this, we are enabled by the power of God's Spirit to flee from sin. Whereas apart from the Spirit of God, we are subject to the constant effect of sin on our actions, attitudes, and habits, we are now granted the ability to overcome the sinful strongholds in our life by the power of God's Spirit. We can overcome them. We have been freed from that. The chains have been loosed. They've been broken. Jesus has ripped those away through the power of His Spirit working in us. This is why we can say from from our main idea that we have new life in Christ Jesus. This isn't in your notes, but but Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, right? God is to be trusted, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, notice this, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Oh, how we would take hold of this promise of Scripture, that God is faithful and he gives us a way of escape. This doesn't mean that we've obtained sinlessness, right? I'm sinful and broken and fallen and so are you. We will struggle with sin in the midst of this fallen world, but through the work of Jesus applied and the power of the Spirit indwelling us, we can combat, we can wrestle with our sinful flesh and overcome the temptations of this world. That's good news. We must remember the beautiful truth of Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have this peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse, Romans 5.1, is the major cause of an old Catholic monk named Martin Luther some 500 years ago. You guys ever heard of the guy? Martin Luther? To seek reformation of the church. This is what had happened. The the church had, had added to the word of God. There was corruption, was rampant. But because of, of Martin Luther wrestling with his own sin and the teachings of the Bible, right? The word of God about how God has dealt with sin. The Bible, that is, the word of God led him to seek reform in the teachings of the church. Remember this, this important truth. God has forgiven the penalty of sin and has given you a way of escape from temptation. And we can declare this truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can overcome the temptations and sin of this world. Point number two, the gospel is what God has done about sin. The gospel is what God has done about sin. It says in verse three, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What did he do? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What does he mean? That Jesus came fully God, fully human. By sending his son Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh 
And for sin, here it is, he condemned sin in the flesh. Three points for you as we unpack the truth of our second point. The first thing is this, is that we don't do the gospel. Jesus has already done it. It's done. It is, it's why Jesus on the cross could cry out and say, what? It is finished. He's finished the work. I hear Christians say after a sermon or service, let's go do the gospel. You can't. Christ already accomplished this for us. It is what God has done about sin. 2 Corinthians 5 21 says this, if you look to the screens, for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus has accomplished this for us. It's what God has done about sin. Number two, for those of us who have an understanding of the Old Testament, we wrestle with here the purpose of the law. What's the point, right? What's the point of the law? In a sense, maybe this this questioning comes to mind or this train of thought. Maybe we think this way. Well, the, the Israelites didn't get it done through plan A, the law. So God had to implement plan B. He's like looking down. He's like, "Uh uh-oh, they're making a mess of this thing. Jesus, you're up. All right. You got to go do it for them. But here's the truth. The the law was never designed to save us in and of itself. We're not capable of upholding the law. Rather, I want you to hear this. The law is a revealer of sin. It It reveals our incapability to us. And it's actually the grace of God so that we no longer walk in ignorance of our sin. We know it because the law is put before us. And we know that we can't live up to the expectations of the law, that we need somebody else to fulfill it. And the person who has fulfilled it for us is Jesus Christ. The law is the revealer of sin. Jesus is the deliverer from our sin. He is what God has done about sin. Point number three, the the Lord Jesus took on the penalty of sin in the flesh so that we could be reconciled to God through him. Thus, our main idea, granting us new life in him. Granting us new life in him. What's the the point of all this? God's overarching purpose through Jesus was not only about salvation and dealing with sin. God created humanity with, with a great purpose to be cultivators, creators, and glory extenders throughout God's beautiful world. Much of Romans 8 deals with our purpose as the Lord's stewards in the world, right? We have a purpose. The gospel's not just a ticket to heaven or fire insurance against the wrath of God. The Lord has indeed paid the penalty for our sin, set us free from sin, and has done the work himself to restore us. That's a word I want you to remember. To restore us toward our original, we'll call it our original vocation or our work in the Lord's kingdom. Thinking all the way back, this goes all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, which brings us to our third point. The gospel transforms our lives to live as God intended. Right? We're, we're given a, a purpose or a plan in life. This is the, the new life that we have. Remember the, the main idea, we have possession of the new life in Christ Jesus. So, so what do we do? What do we do? Verse four, I'm going to back up 
This isn't in your notes, but I'm going to read the last part of verse 3 so that verse 4 makes sense. The last part of verse 3 says this, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul here is setting the stage for the rest of Romans 8, which has to do with our purpose in the created world, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What do we do? In a sense right here, I hate these kind of movies, but you get to the end of the movie and it's not done. You know there's going to be a sequel and they throw up a few words on the scene. What is it? To be continued, right? So, but, but we're going to get a little sneak preview this morning to what the rest of Romans 8 is going, to, is going to teach us, this beautiful passage of Scripture, this beautiful chapter in Scripture. Paul grants us a glimpse, and the glimpse is this. We walk according to the Spirit. We walk according to the Spirit. The reality of the gospel is this. We have been transformed. We have been set free from our sin nature and granted a new nature in Christ Jesus. I want to point out to you one of the the significances or or the pictures of of baptism that we see. What do we see when someone is baptized? We see the gospel in that. What does that mean? We see someone professing and declaring I am dying to myself, okay? That's what's symbolized when they go under the water. I'm dying, I'm being put into the grave, my old self, and I'm being raised to life again, to new life in Christ. That's what's symbolized in baptism. That's what it represents, that we've put to death the old way and we've been granted a new nature in Christ Jesus. Our sin nature has been put to death. We've been given a new nature. We walk right, in the way of the Spirit now, not in the way of the flesh. We have new life. And our new life now enables us to be set free to carry out now our original intended purpose. We find this all the way back in a garden. All the way back in the Garden of Eden. God set apart humanity to spread His glory in creation, in the world. It's why if you read the descriptions of of the Garden of Eden, we find from the Garden of Eden a, a river flowing forth from that paradise into the world, flowing from this place, from the place where God was dwelling with humanity into the world. And and God has set apart human beings as the pinnacle of his creation. It's why we value life. It's why we value human life. Because we're made in the image of God to do the work of God, to be his stewards or his managers in his beautiful, good creation. And what are we to do? We're to be like that river taking forth the glory of God into into the ends of the earth. That's our purpose. We're set apart for God's glory work in creation. What a high calling that we have. God's purpose for us has not changed, family. Through Jesus, we have been transformed to carry out His glory work once more. We've been changed to positively impact those divine appointments we have in order to share the good news of Jesus with those who are far from him. Right To spread the glory of God through proclaiming a message of salvation through Jesus alone. We've been transformed to worship God, as his word says, in spirit and in truth. 
We've been transformed to walk according to the ways of God, which is summarized in the law of God. The law of God is still good. It's not set aside. Jesus fulfilled it. He showed us the way, and now we walk in light of that, being enabled to live in light of the law now, to uphold the commandments of God. And we could simplify those. Jesus simplified the commandments of God in two. He said it in four words, love God, love others. Love God, love others. We are transformed by the gospel of Jesus applied through the spirit of God to love God and love others. And so I have a a few questions as we conclude this morning, a few questions for us to ponder as we we close out our time together. It's, It's our point of application today. It's this question, what is your mindset? I'm not giving you an action plan to check or boxes to go out and do and just say, okay, that's finished. I can move on to the next thing. What we're wrestling with this morning is the way that we think and the way that our heart is driven. What is your mindset? Today's sermon is more about hearts and minds over and above specific actions. What is your mindset? A few questions for us to wrestle with. Have you embraced the new life you have in Christ? His word declares there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you embraced that truth? Do you own that in the present? In other words, have you called upon Jesus to save you from your sin? You see, we have a relationship problem with God apart from Jesus. We have sinned against a holy and perfect and righteous God, and we need the work of another applied to us to be in the presence of God. Jesus has done that for us. Jesus came and lived perfectly in our place in full obedience to the law and will of God, even unto death, death on a cross. Jesus was fixed to the cross by nails. He was whipped and beaten. He was stripped bare and naked, and his blood was shed. His blood is an atoning and sin-covering blood. Jesus died on the cross and went into the grave. On the third day, the stone was rolled away, and by the power of God's Holy Spirit, Jesus was raised from the dead in victory over sin and death. He's alive. This is the message of the gospel. Have you trusted in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection? And Jesus will give you, as his word promises, his righteousness. He takes on your sin. He gives you the gift of his righteousness as a free gift. He has nailed your sin to the cross, canceling the record of your debt. Have you embraced the new life you have in Christ? Number two, have you walked in the freedom of the spirit that you have? Again, it's not all just about a ticket out of hell or a ticket into heaven. Are you living to honor Jesus every day? Are you putting to death the deeds of the flesh through the work of the Spirit? We call this mortifying or putting to death the sins of the body, the flesh. God has given us a means of grace, different means of grace to help us in this. There's two important ones that we observe here at North Bullet Christian Church. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism symbolizes our putting to death the flesh, right? The old self and the raising of the new. Communion aims to remember the redemptive work of Jesus, right? We remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, confessing our sins and being unified as the body of Christ. They're means of grace that we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. Other ways... Other means of grace that the Lord has given us is through the power of his word, through taking in scripture. 
We, we ask the question sometimes, how come God doesn't talk to us anymore? The reality is he does. Through the power of his word, you want to hear God talk audibly, just read the Bible out loud. Another way that the Spirit helps us to overcome sin is, is through prayer. Did you know that we could communicate with the living God? The God who spoke all things into existence, we can talk with him and have a conversation with him. We can pray to the Lord. Prayer is communication with our living God. Lastly, God has given us the beauty of relationships. He's given us the one another's, right? We have a, a room full of one another's together, walking through the Christian life, building each other up, discipling one another, bearing one another's burdens. And I want to encourage you as we set out into a new year, there's a number of different ways that you can partner with other Christians in our church to grow in Christ, to help you put to death the deeds of the flesh, to walk in the purpose that Jesus has given us in cultivating and creating and, and extending the glory of God all throughout the world. There's three primary means that we do this through just Sunday school, right? Through getting together and gathering around the word of God with a bunch of people who are broken and sinful and messed up just like you, confessing our sins together, praying together, and cracking open the word of God together and talking about it. We have a number of classes at 10 o'clock for you. On Wednesday night, we have a whole bunch of classes available and, and partnerships together with other people to dig into, again, the word. Everything is centered around the word. Sharing the Bible together, sharing our lives together. And lastly, we have community groups. These are groups that meet in homes all throughout the week. That we, what I like about community groups is we get to eat. Sometimes we'll share a, a dinner together. My, my personal group has the best baker. I'm not going to say in the church because I'm going to get myself in trouble saying something like that. She's a really good baker. That's why I had some specific New Year's resolutions because I ate too much of her brownies last year. so. But we gather together in community groups, again, to sharpen each other, to pray together, to share life together. I want to encourage you to get involved in these means of grace that the Lord has given us. He's given us one another to walk through life together. Number three, our last point of application, have you applied transformed living in the present? Our Christian faith is not only fire insurance against hell, rather we have been set free for a purpose in the present time. Everything that you do matters. When you're gathered with your children around the dinner table, it matters. When you're walking around in the grocery store, it matters. When you're filling up your car with gasoline, it matters. When you're at work in a job that you may hate and it may seem meaningless to you, it matters to God. Everything in our life matters. And it matters because we are designed to spread the glory of God in all of creation and everything that we touch, feel, and see. There's nothing secular to the Christian. Everything is sacred. Everything is worship to God, spreading his glory. And the Lord Jesus has enabled us through the spirit-led life to live out his calling to do this, simply to love God and to love others. Amen.